Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Hey, Mercy Church, how we doing? Good. good, good. Hey, we got some work to do today, so I want to kind of jump right in, get into it. Uh, even by way of introduction, I want to read the first verse out of the passage we're going to walk through today. So if you got your Bible, make your way over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be. We've been continuing in this series called The Way of Jesus. We're walking through um, parts of the gospel of Luke and looking at what it means to follow Jesus and what his followers did. And then we follow along in that same way. All right. So uh, verse one, it's going to seem a little obscure, uh, but then I'll put it into some context for us. Okay. Uh, Verse one of Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord, that's Jesus, appointed 72 others And he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. All right, here's what's happening, okay? This is the moment where the first group of non-apostle disciples, all right, you know what I mean? Like, not the 12. This is the first time where they were commissioned, these 72, to be sent out by Jesus. Now, in chapter 9, the chapter before this one, Jesus sends out the 12, commissions them with very similar language. And if you remember all the way back to week one of our series, back in chapter 5, Jesus approaches Peter, James, John, Andrew, and says, hey, come and follow me, and I will make you what? I will make you fishers of men. That was the calling, and so they, they followed right? They watched him teach. They watched him heal. They watched him bring dead people back to life. And then they watched him explain that, hey, this is what God does. In chapter nine, he sends them out to go and do. And in chapter 10, he's sending out more followers. And we get to kind of see what it looks like. So you got this call back in chapter five, follow me. And now you get to see what it is they were going to be doing as just like Jesus had been doing. Most theologians point to this and say, this was a confirming word from Jesus that the normal posture, here's where we're going today. The normal posture of the church is that we are sent out by Christ. In other words, his followers, all of them, all of us are made to fish, made to fish. So for the past 2000 years, People, here's what's happened. We've encountered, different people have encountered the love and forgiveness of Christ. They've received that love and then they've gone out and shared that love with other people. They've gone fishing, right? And that's what happened in the Mediterranean. And then that movement spread across Africa and Europe. And then it spread over to North America and eventually made its way down to the South. And and here's where we are today, here in a church. (laughs) We find ourselves today looking into what it means to be sent out by Jesus, basically what it means to be sent to fish. Now, here's the thing that was getting me as I was thinking through this and and prepping for this week. I think you probably agree with this. Nobody comes to Jesus because they want to go tell others about Jesus. We don't come to Jesus because because we're excited to go do something for other people. We come to Jesus because of what he does for us. 
right? I, I saw my predicament. I saw that I was a sinner in need of saving, that forgiveness was this gift that was being extended to me by God. I was a promised eternal life, right? And I said, yes, right? I need that. And so Jesus met me when I, me specifically Spence, when I was a 12 year old at summer camp, right where I was, right? I was focused on my life. I was realizing the sins of my life, realize the eternity that I was facing. And so I received Christ's salvation for my sins. I received that gift. I gave him control of my life. And I heard the good news from a guy that preached and I responded, right? It was what Jesus could do for me. It's why I initially went to him. I mean, you think of Peter, James, John, when they followed Jesus back in Luke 5, why'd they follow him? Because of something they saw. You remember this? It was a response to what Jesus did. Those guys are out there fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. Jesus says, well, how about you go put your nets down over there? And they're like, okay, carpenter, right? They're a little hesitant because why would he know this? But they were willing, and we talked about that, hesitant, but willing, uncertain, but willing faith. And so they take that step and then they haul in this huge amount of fish. And so then he says, follow me. And they're like, okay. They realize that they've encountered the Lord and they got to follow him. But then Jesus says to follow is to fish. Come follow me. I'm gonna make you into fishers of men. And what happens is we get to this commissioning Jesus gives the church and none of us see ourselves often as good candidates to be fishermen or fisherwomen, however we would, we would say that. So here's what happens so often. People come to church and, and you hear a sermon talking, about, talking to others about Jesus. And there's this internal tug of war that starts to go on in Christians because there's this thing that says, yeah, that seems good, and at the same time, I don't really think that I'm qualified to do it. I don't really think I'd be any good at it. I'm a little scared to do it. And so maybe you approach me and you're like, well, Spence, you can. I bet you'd be good at it. I mean, after all, you're the professional. But then I turn around and look back at you and I'm like, no, 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 no. You're a way better candidate to be good at fishing than I am because the second somebody hears I'm in a conversation, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Boom, walls go up right? Because they're like waiting for when's he going to go spiritual on me, right? They know it's coming, something like that. So I think you're a better candidate, right? We all have our reasons why we don't, why we think we won't be any good at it. Like I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm really bad with words. I'm an Enneagram five and just don't like people or whatever, whatever it is. You know, some people think, man, my story is, um, it's just kind of weak. It's kind of wrinkle free. You know, there wasn't really that much that happened in my past. It's pretty boring. If I had one of those stories where I did a lot of bad stuff and then Jesus brought me back, then I'd be a great candidate to go fishing. But then you got the people who do have all that baggage and they're like, I'm not really a good candidate to fish because this dis all this stuff disqualifies me. And you know, you guys that have this better life, it'd be a lot better if you were the ones to tell because you've been living a much better life than I have. And we all think that we're not good enough to be used by Christ, right? It happens all the time, y'all. Yet in the middle of all of that, Jesus just looks at us and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you which is the best part is where he says, I'll make you because you're not there yet, right? You're not there yet. When you first come to him, you're gonna stumble. You're gonna mess up. I mean, the disciples were always messing up, but you keep at it. You keep fishing and I will make you into a fisher of men. You ever heard that famous um, Mark Twain saying, right? The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and then the day you figure out why, right? Today, this passage isn't just about an action that Jesus is calling you to take. It's about discovering who he has created you to be. 
And y'all, that's everything. Like I think about the millennial generation, we, the millennial generation, which I of course put myself into because 1982 is the cutoff line, all right? And that's when I was born, so I qualify. It means I know how to use an iPhone, but also a Walkman, all right? I can use all the technology. I cross over generations. But anyways, look, uh, the millennial generation, uh, they say that we are a more cause-oriented generation than any in history. Listen, today is about our cause as a church, but much more deeply, it's about the cause that we were created by God for, all right? This is what you were made for. So here's what we're gonna do. I wanna show you what he told these 72 to go out and do, what it meant to fish, what it looked like. And as we go through, what I'm gonna show you is why you are right now 100% ready to be sent out to fish. I'm gonna show you several marks of what sent people look like as we walk through the passage and then show you why already, Already you are fully equipped, positioned by God, uniquely positioned in your life, perfectly ready to be used to go and fish, all right? Why you were made for this. So we'll go back to verse one and we'll just work our way through this passage together, all right? All right, here we go. Um, Verse one, like I said, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. He sent them, here's the part I want you to focus on. He sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. I'm bringing this back in for two reasons. First, he sent them in pairs. Here's the first mark of sent people that I want you to see. Sent people don't go alone. All right, the mission of the church is not for the individual. It's for the church. It's not designed to be solo. It's scary sometimes. I just don't believe you should be doing it if you're not connected to the local church. Y'all, life is a community project, if you will. If you are excited about God's mission, but you're not excited about God's church, you're not connected to God's church, something's off based on what scripture would teach you. This is why we tell you to get plugged in around here. It's because God has created you for this right here. And he created you for this purpose to be done, to be carried out this mission, to be carried out alongside of others. And I also want you to see what he says. He says that he sent them where he was about to go, which is big because it sets a pattern. Jesus isn't just sending them off on some like rogue random mission. He's sending them to prepare people to receive Jesus, to get them ready for the work he's about to do in them. That's what he's sending us to do. We aren't the ones that can save people. That's Jesus's job. If you will, we keep going with that metaphor. He's sending us out to fish, but he's the one who's to catch, right? He's the one that brings them, brings them home. Verse two, he told them the harvest is abundant but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Y'all, there's so much good news right here. He introduces this new metaphor, the work that he's sending us out to do. It's like going to harvest, which means you're going out to collect all the great veggies and fruits that have already been growing, right? In short, there's, y'all, there's a lot out there. And Jesus says, we need some more workers. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, Pray for the right words so that you can be winsome and articulate. Doesn't say that, does he? No, he commissions the ones that he's sending out to pray for more people to be sent out. Why? Because the problem is not a harvest problem. The problem is a worker problem, right? There's a worker shortage going on. Y'all, there aren't a lack of people in Charlotte that don't know Christ. Actually, it's the opposite. There's an abundance of people who don't know Christ. 
a local missions director that we consult with regularly here in town, told me the other day he thinks a conservative estimate is that 800 of the 1.25 million people living in Charlotte don't even attend a church, let alone follow Christ. And what Jesus is saying is those people aren't just there, they are ready for harvest. Their life experiences, the way they're thinking and feeling about what's happened to them has all made them ready to receive Christ, a message of salvation. The problem's not a harvest shortage. It's a worker shortage. So sent people, here's what happens. We get out there in the harvest. We see what God is doing. You ever get out there in the middle of a bunch of non-Christians, you know this. You see what God's doing and you think, man, more people got to get out here. There's so many more people that need this, need to experience the great hope and love of Christ and more people that need to come alongside and experience what they were made to do, which, which is to fish. Here's the second marking. Sent people pray for help. We pray for help. Help in the form of more laborers, help in the form of the Holy Spirit. And listen, to this end, here's what we're gonna do, y'all. Um, I, I asked, our, I kind of told our staff this, and I'm telling you this today, and it's only about nine days away or whatever, but um, on April 9th, Tuesday, we are going to spend a day as a church fasting which means we're gonna withhold ourselves from food so that we can feast on God and remind ourselves of our dependence and need for God. And then we're gonna come together at 6.30 at our Providence Road location, and we are going to pray. We are going to seek God because he is the one that changes lives. We got Easter coming. We're gonna pray kind of with a target of, of Easter and wanting to see God change lives with the one person in all of our lives who's far from God, but close to us. We wanna see God move and God says, come to me and pray and depend on me. And that's what we're gonna do. And I wanna ask you, I know it disrupts your schedule. I had to call um, Courtney, my wife, and uh, you know it's gonna disrupt our family schedule, but I just feel convicted by God that we have got to ask for his help, right? This has gotta be his mission, his work that we are a part of and we're joining into, and we need to just seek him, seek him for the sake of people out in the harvest. Listen, I long, I long for you to experience the joy of God using you to bring someone else to him. There is nothing like it. There's nothing like that feeling when someone that you know and love has found salvation in Christ and they come out of those baptism waters, man, you're, most often people end up weeping because their body can't even handle all that emotion, right? It's joyful. And that, the reason you feel that way is because you were made for that process that you just went through and you finally feel alive. All the experiences you've had in your life, all your personality, all your prayers you've prayed, they were answered, all of that. All of that wasn't just about your life. God says he created you, he guided you, he has shaped the seasons of your life so that you can fish for that one person that maybe nobody else, the, the person sitting right now to your right, your left, they can't fish for that one like you can. And this is why he's saying you're 100% ready right now. And we'll come back more to that. Verse three, now go, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. This is a simple command, right? Now go. Listen, to, to that end, let me just say the best kind of fishing there is is the kind that happens, right? I mean, we can talk about it all day long, but this is not a theory thing. This is a, a going thing, right? And from Matthew 28, he says, make disciples as you are going, going. And I just say this is normative for the church. Making disciples is not some exceptional task for a handful of overzealous weirdos, all right? It's not. 
And he says, as we go, we go as lambs among wolves, which means we are to be pure and harmless. That's what the lamb represents throughout scripture. But we will encounter hostility to our faith. The way one guy said it, said, don't be a danger to others, but expect dangerous opposition to your message. So this will be the next mark of sent people. Sent people expect opposition. We do. Jesus isn't trying to sugarcoat things. He never does. The effect of sin on the world means people will try to stop you, all right? Try to attack you for spreading the gospel. This is the story of the church throughout history, persecuted for the proclamation of the gospel. We expect it. That's why we pray. That's why we are dependent on the Lord, right? Let's keep going. Verse four, don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. This one's a little surprising to me. Like, come on, Jesus, let me get my uh, missionary starter bag going, right? My, my Cavu bag, my Chacos, my wallet, right? Let me get all that together and get out there. But Jesus makes this instruction for a reason. Now, he's not like promoting poverty, although a good portion of church history is his followers living in poverty. That is pretty normative. But he is making sure they travel light. And y'all listen to me. Wealth does have a way of slowing us down. So here's the way I want to say this one, this marking. Sent people are dependent on Christ. We are dependent only on Christ. Y'all, this mirrors his call to the rich young ruler in Luke 18. This guy says to Jesus, listen, what do I need to do, right, to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, obey all the laws. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. The rich young ruler says, oh, I've done all that. And he says, okay, well, then here's what you need to do next. So what Jesus says, he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. You don't need that stuff. You're going to have treasure in heaven. And then follow me. And Luke says that that young man went away sad. He went away sad because he was very rich. Now, y'all, the point is not that wealth is bad. The point is that it is very easy to let wealth be an obstacle to keep you from following Jesus. So let me ask you, do you feel too tied down right now to obey Jesus' call to go fishing? Y'all, you were made for this. And now you might say, yeah, but look, man, I got kids and a job now. Um, we got a lot of things going on. I just don't really have any time. You know, my, my margins are really thin right now. Listen, everywhere you and your kids go, everywhere you live, every interaction that you have, those are places where you can fish. God loves and designs families. If that's your situation, don't hide behind your family. Dads, let me talk to you for a second. Teach your family. Don't hide behind them. Lead them to fish. One of the greatest blessings will be when you together as a family help others meet Jesus. But whether or not you're, you're in a family right now, whatever situation you're in, don't hide behind your situations and circumstances as excuses for why you don't go fishing. God has put you right there where you are right now so that you can be the one, you're uniquely positioned by God to be able to lead someone else to faith in Christ. Listen, I'm sure many of you have heard this before, but Luke 16 Jesus is gonna say, you can't serve two masters since you'll either hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve. And then he says, God and money. And the love of, the devotion to building wealth becomes, y'all, it just becomes this like, it's like this Rick Flair, just straight up figure four leg lock. You know what I'm talking about? They just won't let you go anywhere. And so that's something you might need to talk with God about, right? In this world, are you traveling lightly? Are you dependent on Christ to provide for you to accomplish his mission or are you trusting in yourself? 
Now, he also said in verse four, don't greet anyone along the road, which I find kind of like the opposite, I thought, of what they were supposed to be doing. Or like, aren't they supposed to walk up to people and like, hey, person on the road, want to hear about Jesus, right? Uh, but listen, he's not saying don't tell people about him. It's the opposite. He, he's saying don't waste time. Who knows how much time you have? Who knows how much time those that I'm sending you to, how much time they have, right? You got a mission to go where I'm sending you, tell them about me, time is valuable. Today could be the day. So the way I wanna say this is sent people. We live with a sense of urgency. Um, pastor Scott, our Providence Road campus pastor, he taught me something really valuable about this. He said, you gotta remember, there's kind of this like point of no return in friendships when it comes to talking about Jesus. It, it, that means it's good to build friendships, but as we're building those friendships, there should be a time fairly early on where we talk about our faith. Because if we wait for like two years, right? We get really close, we're, we're building a close friendship and then out of nowhere, all of a sudden you just go spiritual on them. I mean, that's like, they're just blindsided by the people's elbow, right? All of a sudden they're like, whoa, what is happening here? Why are we going spiritual all of a sudden? So listen, we live with a sense of urgency. By the way, WrestleMania just happened recently. So that's what's going on with some of those things, okay? Um, we live with a sense of urgency, which means we make the good news of our life, kind of the, the front page news in our friendships. Y'all, I wanna say to that end, we got some great conversation training on our website that you can go and look at uh, for more on this. All right, now, verse five. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it'll return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move on from house to house. When you're in any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Uh, this phrase right here, this person of peace, is something missionaries talk a good bit about. I'm gonna give you the short version of what person of peace is, okay? Remember, Jesus has sent out 36 advanced teams, right, to prepare for his arrival. A person of peace would be the person when they come to that town that offers them hospitality. And y'all, in a small town like they're going to in these villages, all the homes are right next to each other and everything, everybody would know that that person, right, that town member, that this person was hosting a couple of outsiders. And how that person of peace talked about these two visitors would determine their first impression in the community. I mean, Lydia, small business owner over in Acts 16, Paul meets, the Lord opens her to the gospel. She was then very influential in her whole family coming to Christ and um, in the work of the gospel in her community, right? There are others. The point is that the person of peace who is someone who is receptive to the word. They might even be believers themselves, but they're receptive to it, which is another reason why we pray, right? Here's the way I wanna say it with this person of peace. When we walk into any setting, any relationship, any new group of friends, any new office dynamic, wherever it is that we're going into, listen, sent people, just we expect God to be working wherever it is that we go. We expect God to be working inside of people. And so as we go and we say whatever it is, whether it's peace be with you, or we're just trying to build friendships and we're talking about the gospel, we expect God to be working on someone already before we ever get there. And our posture is just, let's see what God's doing here. Let's see what God's doing on this new sports team that I'm a part of, a new kickball league that I've joined up with or whatever it is that, that you do. Let's see what God's doing here. All right, verse seven. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. All right, here's what this means in short. Sent people practice humility. 
We practice humility. These guys, they had no idea what living rooms they were going to wind up in. All right, they were told to embrace and receive the hospitality offered to them. They were told by Christ to accept help from the very people they were going to go and share this good news with, which is what it's doing is reinforcing dependence on Christ and also showing the people that they were going to that they're coming in humility and weakness. They're not coming to take over, right? It's not a paternalistic approach. It's humility and weakness. They were told to eat whatever's put in front of them. And y'all, hey, just a little um, cross-cultural training. Uh, maybe this is for like, if you get into a, uh, you go on one of our short-term trips or, or whatever, when somebody invites you to dinner, especially to their house, you eat what's put in front of you, right? Like my mom taught me that one. You don't tell Jesus that you're gonna go reach people as long as it's in a strict low-carb context, all right? We don't do that. Now on your own, that's fine, but Jesus is saying, hey, listen, no, you go. And, and twice he says, don't push back food because in doing so, you push back that food. You push back the person who gave it to you. And because of that, I'm going to tell you, I've eaten some weird stuff, all right? Especially in overseas context. I've eaten, I was counting it up, pig brain, chicken feet, fish head, um, mystery meat. I don't even want to know. Um, mountains of oily rice, chili crabs, spam, spices so hot they numb my face. And in one occasion in the mountains of Tibet, there was this goat festival where they walked the goat in front of us and then he was on the plate like about three hours later. And I don't even know, it was like just the whole goat. Who knows what part of the goat that I ate, right? I mean, it's just the whole thing. Now, none of that is in my regular rotation, right? But I go, I go because here's what happens. A handful of times, I know that they served me because I was with some people that I developed friendships with. And I know that they served me that to see if I would eat it. And in choking it down, my hosts laughed at me. And what happened there, a bond was formed. And more than once, that friendship, the Lord let me be the one to use, used me to let those folks, see those folks come to saving faith in Christ. And it started with some humor over some nasty food, all right? So whether it is chicken feet in a foreign country or pickled pig's feet right over in, that's gotta be a West Charlotte thing, but right over in West Charlotte, Gastonia, wherever it is, right? Just practice what we're doing, practicing humility, practicing thankfulness. I don't know if I did more harm than good for mission trip signups in that, that little thing right there. But on we go, um, verse nine. Verse nine is huge because verse nine is gonna tell them what their ministry is gonna kind of look like in action. He says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Simple way to put this. I mean, Jesus ties these two, I mean, just ties them right together. You heal and you proclaim. Here's what happened for the 72. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Y'all, this was happening. They went out in the power of Christ. They healed people and were even casting out demons. And they were saying, as they were doing this, the kingdom of God has come near. And y'all remember, this is before Jesus comes. Jesus is gonna go to these places. He's gonna explain this stuff, teach them about himself. So the question for us, of course, what do we do with this, right? Here's what I'll say. First, those previous two marks are really important in approaching this one, right? Wherever we go, we expect God to be working and we approach that work with humility, right? And when it comes to healing, the thing you have to see is there is this compassionate power that comes from God 
that is for people. And the church is charged with delivering that compassion and delivering that power. Every miracle you see Jesus perform, it's a sign pointing to the more important miracle, his saving power. So what happens is our work as sent people, it becomes looking for opportunities. We're expecting God to work. We're approaching it with humility. It's not our power, right? It's the power of God through us. And we're looking for opportunities to demonstrate the power of the gospel. And then we explain it with our words, right? We heal and then we proclaim. Listen, sent people, practice and preach the redeeming power of Christ. That's what we do. That means we use all the tools in the tool belt. We pray for people to be healed. And when we pray, we pray with humility and expectancy, which means I know God has the power to heal, but I'm not gonna let my trust in him be determined by what happens in this moment because I also know that he's good. And you need to know, whoever I'm praying for, you need to know that he's bigger than your circumstances too. And I know some of you are skeptical of that kind of prayer that says, God, um, please heal this person right now. I know, but listen, the church serves a God big enough to answer that prayer and a God who tells us to pray that prayer. And on top of all that, we have seen him answer that prayer here in our short couple of years at Mercy Church. But the church is also given resources by God, finances, skills, just more tools in the tool belt for going fishing to demonstrate, these tools are to demonstrate the redeeming power of God. So we pray for healing, but we also bring our resources to bear to help redeem any situation. Always doing it as a sign pointing to Jesus. And then we preach, right? We don't just act, we don't just demonstrate, we proclaim. We, we say, listen, the reason we're giving our, our lives away for others, the reason we're sacrificing time, talent, treasure, the reason we're doing it joyfully is because Christ did it first for us. For those who say, man, I, I wanna serve, but I, I just don't wanna, wanna talk about it. I just wanna let my actions do the talking. Well, look, fishing means we do both, All right? There's this old line um, by St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Listen, that's like saying, as, as eloquent and, I don't know, just kind of fluffy as it sounds um, and might go nice on Pinterest somewhere, um, here's the deal. That's like saying, um, I want your phone number. So give me your phone number. If necessary, use digits. <laughs> phone numbers are digits. The gospel is words, yeah. right? We can't just demonstrate it. We have to proclaim it. That's how people will understand what's happening, right? It's both. And listen, right after the 72, Jesus says, uh, verse 20, we don't, don't rejoice when, this is his response to them. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, the greater miracle, rejoice in the greater miracle in salvation. So whether or not the demons flee and whether or not the sick are healed when you specifically pray over them, rejoice in the greater miracle that people have found saving faith in Christ. What we must not do, we must not preach a love we don't practice or practice the love that we don't preach. Sent people practice and preach the awesome redeeming power of Christ. Verse 10, we read 10 through 12. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. 
Y'all, listen, the last thing sent people do is the hardest. But sent people warn people that eternity is at stake. I know this is offensive in the culture and climate we live in, but if we believe, if Christians believe that heaven and hell are real and eternity is real, then when someone rejects the gospel, we warn them that apart from Christ, we believe they'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. We do it with love, but we do it. Now, listen, a, a word to our non-Christian friends right here, okay? Here's how, here's how we try to think about this. If you went to the doctor because you were feeling bad and the doctor discovered you had a terminally ill disease, the most compassionate thing that doctor can do is tell you you're gonna die. In fact, he's bound by his oath to tell you. And if the prescription to save you is a simple medicine that he's got up in the cabinet, wouldn't you want him to offer that to you? Now it's up to you to, to take it or not to believe him or not, but you wouldn't accuse him of being unloving. This is how we Christians are, are trying, never perfectly, but trying to approach this whole calling of Jesus of being sent. That we aren't better people, we're just better off than we were before we met Jesus. But here's the catch. We're not the doctor, all right? We're one of his patients who had the same illness that you have and we happen to find the cure. And so we think you should go see him. And that's what we're trying to point you towards. Now, now, let me take all of this and show you how you are, I believe, made right now for this calling to go fish. Right now, right where you sit, you have everything you need to go fishing. We can equip you to use those tools. That's what God has called the church to do, the, the pastors and leaders of the church to do, is to equip you. And we're gonna continue to try and do that. But God has already, right now, perfectly positioned you in someone's life through a set of circumstances, through some set of circumstances that you've been through, he's positioned you to speak this message of hope and love in a way that they will receive it. And here's how I know. Think about the circumstances, Christian. Think about the circumstances that led you to saving faith in Christ. Most likely, there were three things that all kind of came together. The first was the message, the gospel. Maybe you responded the first time you heard it. That happens to some, a lot of people, it doesn't. It takes several times of hearing the gospel, right? Before it kind of sinks in and, and that message starts to sink in. But here's what else is happening. It's the message, but it's also the messenger, right? Someone that God put in your life. And maybe if you were a kid, you think about the person um, that led you to faith. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe uh, you came to faith young, but then you ran away and you start thinking about who's that person that sort of brought me back when I was running away or maybe as an adult, who was the messenger that spoke, what was it about their, there's something about their personality, about their experiences, about where they were in life. And that leads me right to the third thing. There's the message, there's the messenger, and there's also your circumstances. What was going on with you, right? Something about your situation finally made you pay attention, right? There's this unique set of circumstances that were going on that made you ready to finally hear from God and for God to finally bring you back. And when you were in those circumstances, something's going on in your heart, in your mind, that's making you ready to hear. And then along comes a person with their own life story, their own backstory. They've got this message of hope. You're finally ready to hear it. And God uses that set, that message, the messenger and where you were right then to bring you back to himself. Just like that person, that messenger, you, you are perfectly positioned through the unique set of circumstances and experiences you've been through to carry this message of love to impact someone for all of eternity. So here's the application I wanna give you for this week. A little bit of a homework assignment, all right, that I tried this week and was really, 
it was really effective for me, really impacted me. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to write a letter to the person that led you to Christ. Or maybe it's the person that helped you find your way back to Christ. All right, I wrote mine this week. You don't have to send it, by the way, maybe. Um, that person has already passed away and so you couldn't send it to them, whatever it is. But the point, the point is to give you a chance to see how powerful someone's simple, um, just simple disposition towards you, to take time out of their life towards you, to direct themselves towards you and share the gospel to you, how powerful that was to you. It was so powerful for me. I was thinking about it. There's this group of guys, none of whom are in ministry now, they weren't amazing teachers. They just went fishing my freshman year at UNC and God used them. I'm so thankful. I mean, doing this exercise will remind you that um, you were once a fish, <laughs> right? And it'll show you just the gratitude I think you'll have for those people. Somebody took a risk. Where would you be without them? Uh, let me read you just a little bit of the, the letter that I wrote to these guys. Um, Chuck, John, John, and Chris. All right, these are the fellows of Bass Night Lane. It's a little road in Chapel Hill where these guys had a house on. Uh, here's, what I here's what I wrote, and I'm sending this out to them uh, this week. I came to UNC disappointed by the church and looking forward to trying out new things like, you know, sowing those wild oats I'd heard mentioned in stories about college days, whatever that is, right? But then you guys came and knocked, which couldn't have been all that easy. You brought me in as a friend, though I didn't bring anything to the table myself that would justify you hanging with me. I was an awkward, uh, nerdy freshman. But man, I'm so thankful for you guys. The four of you did your best to make sure this college freshman knew Jesus and walked with him. And the Lord used you. He used Chuck to challenge me to take uh, my first spring break and go to Philadelphia with the campus ministry that we were involved in and share the gospel there. And it forever changed my life. He used you to reel me in when I was drifting away from God and his church. And 17 years later, here I sit as a pastor of a church of all things, marveling at God's grace through you guys. And I'm telling others this weekend, they are perfectly positioned by God to change someone's eternity if they'll just trust God like the fellas of Bass Night Lane. Y'all listen, I just don't want you to miss out. Miss out on the one thing that you were created for. You get everything in your life, everything that you have gone through. God has said, if you will let him he will take that and he will use that to change someone else's eternity. All you have to do is trust him. The message of the gospel is so simple and so beautiful that Christ died in our place. He rose again, defeating death. And then he has worked that out in your own story. And, and God says, I will use that. You just go. You go out, you start fishing, and I'm going to use that if you will Trust me to be, be expecting him to move through you. Mercy Church, that's us. We're not better people than anybody, right? We're better off because of what Christ has done for us. And now we sit saying, Lord, okay, okay, use me. Use me. Maybe it's in the life of my one. Maybe I'm just gonna pray that I'm gonna start being a little more expectant of you to be working and I'm gonna start looking for what's, what in the world is God doing here? And maybe that's going to way I'm going to approach this week. Maybe it starts with just writing that letter, remembering that you were a fish and God used someone else. And one day, one day you might be that person that someone else is writing a letter to. We have to believe that God is still working through the church. And what a great message of hope and love that we get to offer our community. Let me pray for us.
Lord, thank you. I thank you for the, the guides at Bass Night Lane. I thank you for my parents that took me to church growing up, sowed a lot of seeds. God, I thank you so much for your grace on me. You are, you are so good to us. We praise you. God, as we approach this whole thing that we are created for, I pray that we would approach it with joy, with joy of what we get to be a part of. God, I pray, um, actually, before I close this time in prayer, why don't you take just a second? You've heard uh, this passage. You've heard this, this calling by Christ as he sent out his followers. Why don't you take just a second and respond to him? Maybe it's one of these markings that you think, yeah, that's one that I need to yield myself to God and let him work through me there. Maybe it's a, a person that you say, God, would you create the window, create the moment, help me to be expectant and humble. And would you work through me even this week? Maybe you need to take a second and say, thank you. Thank you, God. Name those people. Name those people who stepped out and went fishing and because of their faith, now you're following Christ. Thank him. If you're not a Christian, today can be the day. Today. You can receive, you were, the fact that you are here is no accident at all. You can receive the great hope and love of Christ today. You can have forgiveness from your sins today. All, all it is, is yielding and saying, God, I, I'm done. I'm done running after my own thing. I give you my life. Thank you, God, for saving me. I believe Christ died for me. I believe it. So I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. God, thank you for this great message. Thank you for this great calling that gives us this fullness of purpose and joy when we walk in it. I pray that that would be Mercy Church, a joyful people walking expectantly through our community for you to move through us as we continue just celebrating the great hope that we have in Christ. We worship you in Christ's holy name. Amen.